If you will turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Pastor Orlando will explain about our new look here uh, later on in service in case you're curious. We did a real goofy thing tonight. We had a pitch-in potluck. Well, we used to call it pitch-in in the Midwest. But, uh, here it's called potluck supper before the service tonight. <laughs> and this this message has every potential of being the most boring thing you've ever heard in your life because it, it's a, got a lot of intellectual content. So you're really going to have to work with me. And for those of you who ate before you came in, if you doze off, that's that's okay. Just try not to snore so the rest of us can hear. I want to talk again about the avenue of purpose that God has put into our lives called learning. You remember that in our discussion of Eden months ago, that we said God established learning in, in many ways scientific investigation in the Garden of Eden. That when God brought the animals in front of Adam and Adam's job was to name every one of them, you will remember that the biblical method of naming is to observe something long enough that you can capture its name in or nature in the name. So therefore, what Adam was doing was the very first scientific investigation. He was observing and categorizing. At the same time, you will remember in that scripture that he was also trying to see the world that God had given him in relation to himself. Because remember, he was looking... For what? A spouse, a mate. And there was not found a helper suitable for him. And so he wasn't just doing an objective investigation, he was doing a subjective investigation. Now what I'd like to do with you tonight is to tell you how much we've learned and how dumb we've gotten over the years after we got exiled from Eden because knowledge became disengaged from its focus on God. And when knowledge is separated from its focus on God, not only do we lose the point, but the more we learn, the dumber we get. And I would like to take the three elements of the temptation of Eve when she began to look at that knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the three elements that went through her mind were really a foreshadowing of the three general areas of knowledge that we think of as being learned or of having practical use these days. And I'll give you the philosophical name for them as we go through them. First of all, let me tell you the general drift of what we're saying. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, it says this, There is an admonition to Christians. This I say, therefore... And affirm together with the Lord that you no longer, I'm sorry, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Now, the, the word there, futility, the Greek word is metaoitity. And it, it literally means to be empty, to be purposeless, to wander aimlessly. To think that there is some use, but never to be able to find the use. It's the same um, 
the same mood as when the, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, all is vanity and a chasing after the wind. It's the same mood when, uh, as when we read in 2 Timothy, uh, the description of the Gentiles, when, when it said they were ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. See? There's just a sense of purposelessness in it all. Well, it is that character that has, that has inhabited our learning as a people. And the more we learn, the dumber we get. You know, and we think we're getting smarter. But there's some sort of cloudiness over us that just won't let it come right. Whereas drunken people... Now, I don't know how many of you saw uh, last Sunday, not yesterday, but last Sunday, an article in the paper about the guy who was cleaning his pistols. Anybody see that? Anybody read that? My wife cut it out and brought it to me. I couldn't believe it. This guy is, is just a little inebriated, about three sheets to the wind, actually, has three pistols, starts cleaning the first one, shoots himself in the foot. Gets done cleaning it, though, kind of bad. Starts cleaning the second one, the gun goes off, shoots himself in the foot again. For real, honest to God. Gets done with that, takes his third pistol. I think it's like a three fifty-seven Magnum or something. This giant elephant gun of a pistol. Starts cleaning it. The gun goes and shoots himself in the foot again. They get him to the emergency room. And he said, "He said, you know, the first one didn't hurt so bad, and, and the second one kind of stung, but that third one really hurt." Yeah. It, it reminds me. It reminds me of ourselves. You know, we keep doing the same stuff over and over again, thinking, "Well, that doesn't hurt too bad. I'll just continue with this." You know, hoping for a different result. We're not going to get the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and again, expecting a different result. You know, that's how we live as a culture. And when we learn just for knowledge's sake, that's exactly what happens to us. Now, let me uh, in in uh, 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 Genesis chapter three verse six, it gives the three. Um, thoughts that Eve is having when she is considering the knowledge that is separated from obedience to God. This is the foreshadowing of Genesis. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, there is a sense in which our knowledge, especially in America, must be practical in order for us to think that it's real. And anything that works for us, we assume is real. Anything that makes us feel different, anything that makes a difference in our lives, we assume to be reality. Now, there isn't anything wrong with experience. Because when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your experience is going to change. You're going to be a different person. There will be a noticeable difference in the way you think, in the way you act, in the things that come your way. There's going to be a noticeable difference. Remember the guy in John 9 when they, when they looked at him and, and they, they, they wanted to do a theological examination about this Jesus guy. And the, and, the, and, the, and the man said, I don't know. I can't answer the questions as to who he is. All I know was once I was blind and now I see. That's all I know. He had had a wonderful experience. But that experience was not in itself a relationship. We Americans love practical things. We call it, philosophically, it's called pragmatism. Before that, in America, it was called utilitarianism. Before that, in European, especially Scottish philosophy, David Hume, 
had something that he called, uh, I forgot this, I went blank on this again yesterday, um, empiricism, see? But whatever you call it, you trace it back to what good is it going to do me practically? And we think that that is what the truth is. And we think that we benefit if we can just get something that will work in our lives. And so what we do is go chasing after, in the the realm of religion, the religious experience. Not the giver of the experience. Not the relationship with the Lord. But the experience that we hype ourselves up. Who? Maybe I can get healed. Who? Maybe I can feel better. Who? Maybe I can, you know, celebrate. Maybe I can be joyous. That's what I want to do. I want to go to church and be joyous. See? And then we wonder why there's a creeping emptiness in it all. A desperate try for a bigger and bigger hype. And why it is so fake. And why these prophets of manic religion get found more and more to have little radios in their ears so that they can hype people bigger and bigger into their fraudulent brand of Christianity. It also says in Genesis chapter 3, when she saw that the tree was a delight to the eyes. Now, there is a sense in which all of us have within us what is called an a priori, before experience category, that we want to see the world in its beauty, in its balance, in its symmetry. Whether it be in art or in science, there must be laws that make sense that govern this world. And so we look for them. Again, this is part of our scientific investigation. We assume that the world makes sense, that it is logical, and that there is reason that governs the world. Remember, the basis of the word logos is reason. And God has nothing whatsoever against our searching and reasoning out and logically deducting how the world works. In Isaiah chapter 118, the Lord said, Come, let us reason together. You thought LBJ made that up, didn't you? No, it was God. Come, let us reason together. God has nothing against reason. But when you believe that observation and scientific investigation is the only reality there is, not only are you in the school of logical positivism, but you have just cut off the truth from the one who created what is reasonable. And you have just found yourself in a little ghetto that will only give you a piece of the truth, and that piece of the truth will never bring progress in your life. It may raise your standard of living a little, but it will never bring fulfillment in your life. There was another thing that, re- that, that Eve foreshadowed for us. It... And when she saw that the tree was desirable to make one wise. This is truth by the accumulation of facts. Truth by knowledge. Americans assume that the more you know, the smarter you are. You know that? We do. We love trivial pursuit. You know why? Because we just accumulate facts. You know? 
Who was Tonto's horse? Who was Tonto's horse? Never mind. Scout. That's right. We love that game. We're in, we're in a jeopardy, you know? Man, je- eternal life for 500, you know? We think that if we know enough, we've got it. If we can retain it, we've got it. We assume that knowledge itself is good. Now, again, God has absolutely nothing against knowledge. He wants us to have knowledge. In Ephesians 4.13, it says, I pray that you will be filled full of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Remember? God is nothing against knowledge. But you know what? There is nothing in the accumulation of facts in itself that makes you smart. It just makes your head full. Let me ask you this question. Let's just summarize what I've said. Why is it that we have made such progress in this world in all three of those areas? Fifty years ago, the scientists of that age could never have predicted the progress we would have made by this time in scientific investigation. Never imagined it. In the area of experience, a hundred years ago, our ancestors would have never believed the level at which we live. Our lifestyle level. They never could have imagined it. Let alone in the history of the world. Just a hundred years ago, they could not have predicted the easy lifestyle we have. Knowledge. The knowledge in this world doubles now every five years. And that ratio is quickening. And it's doubling in a shorter and shorter period of time. We know far more, not only than than the accumulation of the history of man in the last five years. We've discovered more facts than all of man put together in the last five years. But we know more than we ever imagined we could. Now let me ask you this. With all we know, and with the level of scientific advancement, and with the level of our, our general living at all-time height, why is it that drug use is at an all-time high? Why is it that crime is at an all-time high? Why is it that divorce is at an all-time high? Why is it that people are generally more miserable than they have been ever? You know why it is? Let me give you an illustration. Some years ago, there was an exploratory party in the region of Antarctica. And in this party, there was a, a, a section of this party, the, a scout party, that went to explore this certain territory. When they became separated from their home base, that night there was a horrible storm that blew. And so they hunkered down where they were, is what you do in a blizzard when you're in Antarctica. You don't go anywhere. You just stay put. And when the morning came, because these men were trained in exploration, they knew exactly the direction to go toward home. They knew from the position of the stars when the, before the sun came up, they knew from the position of the sun. So all day long, they trudged toward home. At the end of that day, the stars came out again. They took out the instrument 
that gives their position, their location in relation, in relation to the stars. And they were further away from home base than when they had begun that day. Now, how can you travel and make progress all day long and at the end of that day be further away than when you started? Well, they discovered when they were rescued a day later by helicopter that the territory that they were on was an ice floe that had broken free from the main piece of land. And it was drifting farther away from that land than the speed of their individual progress by foot. I can think of no better analogy than the world we live in today. If you are separated from home, it doesn't matter how much progress you make, you're going to end up further away from home every day. You can know more, you can discover more, you can live higher, and you'll still be further away from home. Knowledge that is separated from God is knowledge that drives us into deep despair. Read the rest of the text with me. It says in the next verses, it describes that futility of mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded, now this Greek word would be better rendered alienated. Uh, it, it also means alienated. Um, and in some of your, I think maybe King James it has alienated in there. Excluded seems like you never had it. Alienated recognizes that you had it once and now you're away from it. You, you've lost it, Okay. Alienated from the life of God. There's that home base. Because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, why did they have the ignorance? Because of the hardness of their heart. Why did they have the hardness of the heart? They, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. In other words... They are separated because they want to be separated, because they have succumbed to the siren of the world that says, if you want to know more, learn more of me, don't learn more of God. And that's how you make progress. Ogden Nash once said, you know what? Progress was all right for a while, but it's gone on way too long. <laughs> I kind of agree with that. Let me tell you the destiny of people who are trapped in this world and their knowledge is alienated from the purposes of God. And then we'll go back to see how you can connect it better with the purposes of God. But this is, I read the most amazing article this week. I get all kinds of uh, what, what other people would call secular magazines. I just, I call them magazines because the, the, the information is useful to me. I mean, I can see we're going down the tubes in this culture, but, but it's still, I mean, knowledge is knowledge, you know, and it can be used for God or it can be used for the, the world. So anyhow, I get psychology today. I really enjoy uh, reading it, and uh, there's some real scary stuff in this. And I read an article that just was the most unbelievable thing. I want to read you parts of this article, and I, I don't like people to read to me, and, and I'm sorry for having to read to you, but I didn't memorize it. So let me read. This is incredible. You will not believe this. You will not believe this. This is written by Kenneth Gergen, who's a Ph.D., who's a psychology professor at college, and, and he's written... Uh, uh, two or three credible books on psychology and, and, and uh, um, 
has been writing for, for Psychology Today for 20 years. And he says that there are basically three schools now of mentality when it comes to people's uh, uh, makeup, intellectual makeup or men- mentality. The old school is the romantic school. That's where we're from. That's where we are. That's where we live. It says that there was, there's a real self. There's an authentic self that expresses itself in many ways. The modernist school says there is a mechanical self. And basically what we want to do is we just want to get this thing functional so it works okay. And then there is the postmodern consciousness. Oh, you're not going to believe this. Listen to this. Many of, many of us believe that somewhere behind masks, you know, he says, he starts off by saying we all play roles. We all play our little bits in order to fit in with people. And we've always assumed that there was an authentic self behind there that was willing to play the role in order to fit in and so on and so forth. Okay? He says, many of us believe that somewhere behind these masks lies the real person. That all of this role-playing is so much sham. Yet, if by chance, now listen to this, you are beginning to doubt that there is a factual self beneath the fake and feel the mask may just be the genuine article and that image really is everything, you are entering the new world of postmodern consciousness. You get what he's saying? He's saying there isn't really a you. Only the role is real. Only the temporary role. Listen to this. He says, many of us have been questioning the traditional value of a firm sense of identity. Knowing where one stands and to whom one is committed. Many feel the limitations of the old virtues of coherence and authenticity. He says, this is incredible. He says, on the one hand, he's starting to lament, you know, what what we miss, you know, or why this is coming about. On the one hand, by favoring the fixed identity, that is the one that we believe in, that God made you for a purpose and that's that, okay? One also opts for orderly and predictable ways of life, trustworthiness, long-term commitments, and a sense of security and tranquility. Now, he says, one shudders to think of their disappearance, yet we no longer live in a world that imparted such high value to these ways of life. He says, they're, they're, he said, they are commendable. I mean, com- being committed in love and being loyal and, and, and having long-term friendships uh, are all fulfilling if not heroic. But, he says, listen to this, through modernism, the self, here's the self down here, the self was slowly being redefined. The emphasis shifted from the deep and mysterious processes to human consciousness in the here and now. Now, let me tell you about the modernist self here. Modernist self is, is, is kind of like a machine. Whatever goes in comes out. You know, the input, you know, the guy-go thing, garbage in, garbage out thing. Okay, this is how we look at people nowadays. And he says most psychologists are like this. Good personalities, like motor cars, can be properly manufactured through social engineering. Should, ind- should individuals go astray, therapists, like mechanics, can put them right. Both behavior modification and cognitive therapy, primary technologies for repair, define the self in the modernist idiom. In other words, here, they used to try to kind of get to who you were and who you were meant to be. Here, they say, look, forget about that stuff. That's too heavy. 
let's just talk about how you can function, how you can have a fairly good relationship or hold a job down or feed yourself or whatever, you know? That's the main thing, you know? If you can just get what you need to get through the day, that's all that counts. You see, the self has now become a machine that can be fixed to function. But gone is most of the meaning. Now listen to this. He says, slowly though, we are losing confidence that there is a coherent, identifiable substance behind the mask. The harder we look, the more difficult it is to find anyone at home. He says, he says, as we cease to believe in the inner mysteries and passions or inspirations, when we no longer seem to be the authors of our lives, knowing who we are or where we stand, or what we stand for, I'm sorry, or where we're going, when reason no longer leads in any particular direction. Remember the Greek word? Metoitity, empty, purposeless, wandering. When reason no longer leads in any particular direction. When commitment becomes a relic of yesterday year. He said we'll miss it, but only because we thought we needed it. He says in here our children will scarcely feel the pinch as we do, they will scarcely understand why anyone would make such a fuss over our real, true inner selves. Look what we trade for. He says, if we cease to believe that there is any deep, essential criteria, this is what we're going to get for this now, if any, any rule of logic or any internal essence against which actions must be compared, then, he says, we are liberated, listen to this, to play the many games offered by this culture. In other words, what he is saying is, forget this self-business, forget this thinking you were put here for a purpose, and just go from one role to the next. This guy out-existentializes the existentialists. The existentialists used to say, there is no meaning to life, it's whatever you create that means something. This guy says, oops, never mind. Not only is there no meaning, there's no you. Listen. This is ludicrous only as long as you have a real identity. But I see people every day getting up and wondering who they are. Every day getting up and wondering who they ought to be today in the circumstances in which they are. I, I went Saturday night to, uh, to uh, a... Uh, has anybody ever been to Sack Theater downtown on Church Street? I saw you guys there. I saw them there Saturday night. Uh, that place is a stitch. I mean, it is so much fun. A couple of the, of the folks that are actors down there uh, come here and they do some of, the, some of the skits that we do here in church. And I had never been there. And I just thought, well, you know, and so I, I, I went out of church Saturday night and went to the theater. How about that? 8.30, I took my wife and my sister and my, and my smallest son. I, it is absolutely incredible because it's all improvisational. It's good, clean stuff. I mean, I'm going I'm to rec- my, recommend my kids take their dates there, you know. I mean, it's good. It, there's no, you know, off-color stuff, you know. If you say something off-color, you've got to wear a scumbag, a, a bag over your head for 30 seconds. See? So they really keep a lid on it, literally. But this is 
a group of people who are so creative that all of their skits come from the audience. They say, you know, for example, give me a, uh, a body part and a feeling, you know, and, and Saturday night it was uh, ankles and fear and uh, pinkies and confusion and tongues and happiness. And, and, and then they, they just go and act out a play with those. I mean, it is incredible. And it was so much fun. And it was so funny. But you know why that could be funny? Because you know those people have a life off the stage. You know what would really be pitiful and desperate humor is if their whole life had to be acted out on the signals from others on that stage. Do you know how close to that many people are in this world? Tell me what you want from me today. Give me input. I'll try to have it make sense. I'll try to make something up so that it does make sense. That is the picture of knowledge that has been separated from God. Let me read some scripture to you that, that takes the other stand. And then I just got a, a story for you and then, and then we'll go have dessert or something. Um, in Colossians 2.8, there's a warning. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Get it? Your focus is on Christ. Your knowledge is not disconnected from Christ. In the scripture text itself, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, You did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard Him. Now, if you haven't, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it'll never make any sense. Period. Because you're making your own story up. And that's okay if you want to do that. doesn't have a real good retirement plan. But it's, you know, if you want to, if you want to act through this life and do that, and be that, it's okay, but it'll never make eternal sense. It says, indeed, you, if you have heard him, though, and you have been taught in him, see, if you're still connected to home base, just as truth is in Jesus, you can't separate them, truth is in Jesus, that in reference, to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, here's the difference. When you have Jesus Christ living in your heart, you have the Holy Spirit living in your head. The Holy Spirit is resident. You may not have the two experiences at one time, but God is not separable. If you have Jesus Christ living in your heart, you have access to the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. And John 16 says, I will send you the Holy Spirit and He will lead you into what? All the truth. You know what all the truth is? It's the truth that's connected with the eternal purposes of God. That's all the truth. The little fragments we get down here are just pieces of it. But all the truth is the one that's connected with God. Now, this thing says, Therefore, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. 
You know what it says in 1 Corinthians 2? It says this. We speak a wisdom among those who are mature. Now, now contrast these two Greek terms. Metoetity, that I just talked about, which is the empty, wandering aimlessly. And teleos, which is the Greek term for mature or complete or pointed toward a certain fitting end. That's what we're about here. Bringing people to maturity, teleos, in Christ. So therefore, what the Scripture is saying is that we are speaking a knowledge that will bring you to maturity, to a purpose. This wisdom, however, is not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. In other words, it didn't start when you were born. You had a purpose before you were born, and it leads to your glorification, not glory to you, but glorification in that you become like Christ and you, you center and go toward glorifying God. And look at what it says. The wisdom which none of this ruler, the rulers of this age have understood. See, because they're separated from it. It says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, We do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed every day. Do you have a self in there? You bet you do. It's called the inner man, called the inner woman. You've got a solid self that cannot be destroyed by any of the circumstances that change. Our inner man is being renewed every day. And it says in verse 18, We look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And it says in 5.5, Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God. Let me just give you one illustration of what I'm talking about. When you can look at the circumstances of your everyday life and connect them with what God is doing, you don't have to get up every day and wonder who you are or where you're going. You can do it with any circumstance, any person that comes into your life eventually. You know why you can do it? Because the Holy Spirit will give you that wisdom. It's promised. In James 1, read it. If we ask for wisdom, he'll give it to us. So if we keep praying, God, tell me why. Tell me what this is supposed to do. Tell me how to connect this to you so that, so that I can understand this as you see it. God will give you that. He's promised it to you. You just keep asking that. And life will make a whole bunch more sense. Let me tell you an experience about three years ago. I have my oldest son came home from a Dulas group. They have a high school group here called Dulas that, that is a, a group of kids that are real serious about the Lord and their, their relationship with the Lord. And Josh had just rededicated his life. Um, um, he'd, he'd been a believer, but, you know, like kids do, they fall away, and man, he just didn't want it. So he just had rededicated. He was about 13 or 14 years old. I can't remember which. 14, I think. And boy, he was serious business about Jesus Christ. And he came home from one of the groups, and we had 
as we as we always do in our household. We got we got five strong-willed people living in our house. There's not a weenie in the bunch. So you can imagine the debates that we have in that house. There isn't anybody who backs down on anything. And Josh has always been one of the... I mean, he has always been very independent. Even when he was a kid, you know, we tried to hug him. You know, he'd go... You know, after a couple of hugs, okay, you had your jollies, put me down. I got stuff to do here. You know, he was just always very independent and always, you know, strong-willed and kind of going his own way. So you can imagine, and debate is allowed in our house. You know, somebody's got to have the last word. That would be me. (laughs) But debate is allowed. Okay? So you can imagine, and this kid's got the the debating gift of of an attorney. I mean, he just wants to, he would go until he got some sort of concession, no matter what, you know? So here we are. Day he gets back. We get in the typical, can I? No, you can't. And he said, okay. And that was that. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh-oh. Well, day later, same thing. I want to do that. Well, I'm, you can't do that because of this and this. It. Okay, okay. Goes in his room again. About the third time this happened, I'm thinking one or two things is happening. This kid's real clever and is a real good political thinker. He's either starting to build up something so that I fall into the big hole or something has really changed. So I called him out and said, Josh, come here, buddy. Come here. What's up? He looked at me and he said, Dad, I don't know why I never put this together before, but I learned something in the doulos group that I had never thought about. He said, you know how serious I am about Jesus Christ and about wanting to obey Him. But I learned that God put me in this household and put you as my authority. And I learned that every time I obey you, I'm obeying Jesus. And I want to obey Jesus. So whatever you say, I'm going to obey. And I'm going to submit. That was, that was three years ago. And there have been many times when he said, Dad, I don't agree with you because of this and this. But God has put you over me, and I submit. You know what it's like having a kid that never has to worry about who he is when he gets up in the morning? About having a kid that... <clears throat> is really obeying Jesus Christ when he obeys you and is worshiping Christ every time he says, okay, I'll do it. Having a kid every day that stores up treasures in heaven because he cares more about God than he cares about his own way. That kid's going to be all right. At whatever he does, he's going to be all right because he knows who he is in Jesus Christ. What would it be like to live every day connecting everything that we run into to Jesus Christ and maintaining the same identity, just getting better and better and more and more like Him. That's the option that God gives us in our wisdom. That's the wisdom that's always connected to God and the knowledge that makes us more mature instead of just smarter. Pray with me. God, thank You that there is more to this world than the accumulation of facts and the accrual of experience 
and the advancement of science. Thank you that those are not bad things, that those can be good things. But thank you that there is a purpose for them all. And thank you that through Jesus Christ, we can know their purpose in our lives. And thank you that as we connect them with you, we can not only know what, but why and for who. And thank you that as we connect them with you, we can not only experience them, we can contribute to your glory in this world by following you. Lord Jesus, if there's anybody in here who is operating on that ice flow, disconnected from you, trying to be nice, trying to be smart, trying to live life right, but the more they make progress, the further away they sense they're getting from you, Because they've never asked Jesus Christ into their life, help them right now to say, Lord, I don't want to be separated from you anymore. Jesus, come into my heart and make of my life whatever you want. Holy Spirit, take my mind and help me to perceive as God sees. Jesus, take my life and help me to submit to you as you submitted to the Father. And Father, lead me to the purpose for which you made me from ages ago. God, for the rest of us, help us to take the discipline every day to connect the people that you have given us in our lives, the circumstances that you have allowed in our lives to coming closer to you. Help us to ask why and then to be free to be taught by the Holy Spirit how to use those to your benefit and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.